into another edition of the Sharp Report here off of bettingpros.com. I'm your host, Matt Peralt. You guys probably know me from the Daily Juice podcast. Every week here on the Sharp Report, we talk to different market makers, pro sports gamblers, avid gamblers, market movers on this program, talk about what's happening in the sports gambling world and why not now for college basketball because man alive, tomorrow it starts, but really we have this whole week leading up to what I think is a crap week in the NFL. So we have all this great college football to get our college basketball to get into college football too. And a guy that I've been following a lot on Twitter, I watch his plays. This guy is really sharp and he knows his college hoops for sure. Brian Bevan joining us here on, on the sharp report, Brian, Matt Peralt, how are you? Hey Matt, thanks for having me on, man. Oh man. It's finally here, you know, sitting here doing months of preparation. I know you do it all year round across all sports. I do a little bit myself, but you know, college basketball is my favorite, my go-to, and it's crazy to think that we're finally here. And more importantly, with fans, finally. Well, right. And, and I think we got to get into that because I think one of the most significant things that we lost last year was the home court environment and the home court advantage that college basketball has. As we know, and if you've been playing, watching, talking about, about college basketball at all in your life, you know the hardest thing to do in college basketball is to win on the road. But before we get to that, how long have you been gambling? What's your background? What's your methodology? How do you approach a college basketball season? Uh, in terms of how long I've been gambling, uh, going back probably to the uh, beginning days of like early days in college, back when uh, a lot of the stuff wasn't necessarily um, regulated yet, <laughs> but still love to do it. And one sport that I always found myself doing so well in was college basketball because it's a sport that I grew up in um, having an older brother who played basketball. I was exposed to it at a very young age. So I always, you know, was just really, really into watching basketball um, all the time. And then, you know, I tried, you know, getting into the betting aspect of it. And early on, like any dumb, stupid college kid, I wasn't very good at it. Uh, but once I learned the better strategies, how to do it, once I got involved in the gambling Twitter sphere and learned from some of the professional cappers out there, I really learned that there's a couple ways to go about a college basketball season. And while it has changed a little bit in the one and done era, I think this year we can really go back to a little bit of the roots of my early days in college basketball gambling back to maybe the you know late 2000s to 2010s uh, and really look at what teams have players coming back because this year, maybe more than any year, this is going to be one of the most interesting years in college basketball because you have six-year seniors using that COVID year. You have a lot of players who you would have thought would have maybe left um, for the NBA draft, looking at Johnny Juzang at UCLA, who are coming back this year, coupled with a very solid recruiting class coming in. And this really has the makings for one of the most interesting seasons. So when I look at this year and what I'm going to look at from the betting aspect, I mean, you obviously have to look at who is coming back. But this year, maybe the most interesting part of it and the most unique part of it is the transfers. Mm -hmm. Who is coming in from where? And that's something that I think a lot of people early on in college basketball um, who haven't really paid attention in the summer might be a little bit surprised about is that certain names, certain faces are in different places that they weren't before. And it's going to be interesting to see how some of these bigger programs that have a lot of transfers like uh, Kentucky and Texas stick out specifically. How do they gel early on? And I really think it's going to come down to the coaches that they have trying to gel them together. Yeah, Kentucky with Coach Cal's been doing the transfer one and done, restock the cupboard thing. But Texas with Chris Beard's going to be very interesting. So we'll talk more about that coming up here in a little bit. L let's start the conversation off just about where we where you're looking at with futures. Do you get involved with future wagers at all? I mean, the tournament is such a rocky, crazy road anyway that making a bet here 
early in November seems to be a little bit crazy. At least in my mind, I don't really get involved in, in, the, in the futures market all that much. Aside from win totals, I, I do like betting win totals for, for teams. But Gonzaga is the odds on favorite to win it all. Can you bet against Gonzaga or do you ride the plus, you know, the six to one, six plus 600 odds there on the Zags? You know, I, I look at Gonzaga and two teams come to mind, teams that were always so close but could never get it done. I look back to Virginia a couple of years ago. And I look back to Villanova a couple of years ago. Those were two teams that everyone always wanted to bet on to win the tournament, but they never came clo- or they, they never came up you know, with it, and Virginia getting upset in the first round even. Gonzaga is kind of getting into that territory. They've had a couple teams now, Mark, you has – that have had elite players, even getting in some good recruits last year with Jalen Suggs and this year, Chet Holmgren and Hunter Salas. It's really going to come down to, you know, do you trust them to get it done? Uh, Gonzaga this year has a good mix like they did last year of seniority, but also some good young freshman talent. And and that's pretty new to Gonzaga. They've been pretty much a team that's had three, four-year guys there the entire time. So in terms of the futures market, it's going to come down to if you think this is the year that Mark Few can finally get it done. He has likely the best player in college basketball in Drew Timmy. And, you know, he really had a really lackluster performance against Baylor in the national championship game. So, you know, he's going to want to come back with the vengeance. As I mentioned, uh, Chet Holmgren coming in, perhaps the best freshman in college basketball, if not definitely one of the top two. Um, so I'm not sure that I want to just take Gonzaga, especially at only like a plus 600 yet. Um, but I do think, Waiting to see how they play overall. Maybe they drop one. I mean, they have a gauntlet schedule in the non-conference. Maybe they look lackluster in one of these two, uh, one of those two or three games, and maybe you can get a better line. But right now, in terms of futures, um, I, again, this is just such a unique year. I really want to see how some teams gel together because I personally am ready to play a future on either Kansas or Texas, but I really need to see how they can react, especially with the issues Kansas has with Jalen Wilson and Justin Coleman lands right now out with an injury and how Texas gels overall. Well, let me ask you about the jersey you're wearing. If you are actually uh, watching this and not listening to it, you you see Brian wearing a Duke jersey. For those of you who are just listening to the audio portion of the podcast. Uh, so as a Duke, I'm guessing fan, how do you handle Coach K? How do you handle the Duke? And do you have to avoid it or do you get involved with it betting for or against the team you like the best? Uh, in terms of me betting for or against my team, um, I try to avoid it at all costs. We're already invested financially. I don't want to get invested um, emotionally, <laughs> too. Uh, so for me, I, I try to avoid it at all costs. I mean, each person is, you know, they, they, they make their own choices. But in terms of Duke this year with Coach K, and I try not to sound biased. I think mentally and emotionally, this team is going to be trying their doggone hardest to make sure that he goes out in a respectable way. Maybe not a national championship, but maybe a Sweet 16 Elite Eight or even a Final Four run. I think this is a Duke team that could struggle a little bit early on in the year. Um, I do think they have a lot of moving pieces, and I think they really need to find their identity offensively outside of Paolo Banchero and Mark Williams on the inside. Um, I think they're going to have some problems with the guard play. And as we know in college basketball, you don't have guard play, then you're going to struggle. So I think that Duke is a team that will be interesting to watch how they evolve over the course of the year. But I don't think the Coach K thing is really going to be a major issue. If anything, I think it will propel them. Mm, yeah, I think you're right about that. I think trying to send him out on a high note will definitely make, especially come tournament time, you know, he's going to be completely locked in come tournament time, trying to get his team to win a championship Him, you know, have the walk off, if you will, uh, title with with Duke. But, you know, Duke is a crazy environment. The Cameron crazies are all over you. It's a tiny place. I've actually done play by play from games at Cameron. It's it's ridiculously how small that thing is and how impactful the crowd can be. 
how are you planning on, or can, do you even know how you're going to be handicapping teams on the road to go in there and cover road lines, given the home court advantage, if you've got a home dog riding a, a, a passionate student body that potentially, you know, maybe give them a point or two, maybe three points, depending on what, what's going to happen? First of all, how great is it to be having this conversation again? We talk about teams going into hostile environments, and that's what makes college basketball just so great is a hostile environment that you can go into and Duke being one of those great environments. I do think that when you're handicapping some of these teams that are going to be going into these hostile environments, you need to see what players they that they have with experience. Because remember, the freshmen last year, they didn't have any sort of experience with any sort of major hostile fan base to go into. So I think it's important to see what types of rosters and what types of players that are out there overall um, that have experience playing in these. And, and I think early on, um, for example, we got Villanova going into UCLA coming up on Friday night. I don't think Villanova is going to have any problems with that because that entire roster has experience going into some big time environments where if it was another team, say it was like um, a, a Duke or maybe a Gonzaga going into UCLA with a bunch of guys that don't have that experience, that might be a little bit more difficult. So I think when you're going to have some of these non-conference games, especially early on before teams have a chance to get used to getting back into a rhythm and a mindset of playing in against an opposing fan base, you need to see who's on the roster and who has experience playing in these big time road environments because again it could be really mentally tough for a lot of these players to go in and you know getting ridiculed from the fans the entire time and having everybody in the building except your teammates against you so i really think that um if you're going to play some of these games on the road or maybe the better teams playing on the road and getting um, a pretty low line you need to see who they have overall on their roster before making such a decision um it, it's usually worth a couple points at least so where are you on UCLA? Because this is going to be, uh, I, I can't wait to watch their first three or four games because UCLA was what three or four possessions away from being bounced by Michigan state in the play in game. You know, they're bringing back a lot of players, but everyone seems to be thinking that UCLA has, and, and Cronin's got this you know juggernaut of a program going on. Well, if he loses to Michigan state in, you know, in Dayton, Ohio, we're not having this conversation. It's a conversation about them being uh, you know a top 10 team. Are you all in on UCLA or are you taking a wait and see approach? Definitely a wait and see approach. Um, I know we're going to talk about UCLA and Villanova a little bit um, later on here, but for now it's definitely wait and see again. Like you mentioned, this team was extremely close to being bounced out in the play in game against uh, Michigan state. And then they go on a crazy run, which we can see in March teams can get hot at the right time. And that's what UCLA did. Now they do bring everybody back. They bring back Johnny Juzang. They bring back Jaime Hawkins. They bring back Tyler Campbell, Cody Riley, Jules Bernard off the bench. So they definitely got the, the court to make a run again. And they got the coach to do it. Mick Cronin, one of the best in the country, but I definitely am going to be waiting to see overall on this team. Can they repeat that? Was it just a flash in the pan? And I do think uh, Friday might tell a lot about that because they're going to be going against a very tough Villanova squad who gets Colin Gillespie back for one more run and uh, another great coach team in Jay Wright. And I don't think that's a team I want to attack early on. Um, I want to see if they can replicate that success that they had in March last year. Yeah, they got a big old bullseye on their back now. We'll see how UCLA can handle that. And I know it's UCLA and I know these kids are expecting, you know, they always go to hostile environments because they're UCLA, but Oh boy, I don't, I'm not fully on board here. The UCLA is going to be one of the top five teams in the country the entire season going into this year and, and into this season. One team I think that could be really, really good, maybe not good in November or December, but good in March, Texas. 
All right, so Chris Beard is a master at taking the sum of parts and making them into a bigger whole, a more successful whole than what they would be individually. There are so many transfers on this roster, it's too much to go through all of them. But what do you make of what Chris Beard's trying to accomplish in year one at Texas? I mean, I really think that if there's a coach that can get a team of individually great players who played at lesser programs to come together and really buy into what he has to like what, what he has to offer them i think it's chris beard chris beard is one of the best coaches did a whole lot more with a whole lot less at texas tech and now he gets a bunch of guys i think he's got six or seven players on that roster that were double digit scores and you have five key transfers coming in uh two guys i look at specifically are marcus carr one of the bona fide bucket getters one of the most clutch players in college basketball with minnesota coming in averaging 20 points a game and i look at trey mitchell a guy at umass that many people you know didn't know much about until he played against some of the um, bigger opponents uh coming in he's gonna probably gonna start at forward averaging 19 points a game and again there's too many transfers to get into with texas yeah <laughs> but i think that the fact that chris beard is going to be the one leading this group um i really think that Maybe again, maybe not early on. I'm not sure they're going to be Gonzaga in that first game, but I do think come March, with the way the way Chris Beard coaches and the way that he's just he's just that players coach. He's a guy you want to play for. Um, with the way that he does things, I really think he's going to have them together come March, and that's why I alluded to previously that um, I'm definitely looking at maybe getting a Texas future at some point this year. You know, they have a, a Creighton transfer. I'm a Creighton and UMass guy. I went to UMass and I covered Creighton for years. So those are my two college basketball teams. And anyone listens to this podcast before they they know my background. So like that's a UMass transfer and a Creighton transfer all on Texas. So like Texas is going to kind of be my team this year. I'm going to be watching yeah. Texas because I don't think the Creighton Blue Jays are going to be that good this year. I think they're going to have a, kind of have a, have a rebuild season under Coach McDermott. But I, I think Texas could be really good come the tournament. And I'm looking to see what Christian Bishop can do because the kid's a really a stud player, I think, who probably won't make money in the NBA, but definitely overseas mm-hmm. will make a lot of money. You mentioned there, yeah. Kansas. Well, you mentioned Kansas. All right. So yeah. if anybody's going to dethrone Texas or knock Texas off in the Big 12, how do you feel about what KU is bringing to the table this year? I think Kansas is absolutely loaded this year, but we're not going to see it to start because as I mentioned before, uh, Jalen Wilson will be at one of Kansas' best players, if not their best player, will be out um, as a result of a DUI suspension, as well as Justin Coleman Fields, um, a transfer coming in. Uh, will also be out with an injury. But this team is still absolutely loaded. They bring back Okayo um, Abaji. They bring back uh, David McCormick, one of the best big men in the country. And I think they're going to present a lot of matchup problems. Um, one player that I look to flourish a lot on Kansas this year is Remy Martin, a player on Arizona State who really had to play hero ball. If anyone ever stayed up to watch Pac-12 after dark with Bill Wallen, which I know we all love to do, uh, you might have seen Remy Martin um, take some shots. You're just wondering, you know, what the heck is this guy doing? And I don't think he's going to have to do that this year. I think Abaji and Wilson are going to take the majority of the reps. I think McCormick's going to get a lot of um, feeds down low. I think Christian Brown coming in off the bench is going to get a lot of the um, three-point looks. I think Remy Martin is just going to be able to play his game. And I didn't even mention Joseph Yesfu yet from Drake, who's another guy, 13 points a game and a very, very good defender overall. Um, I think another team that I alluded to before, Kansas, a team that I might want to take a future on. Not only are they... Not, not only are they extremely deep, but they're all upperclassmen. And that's something you really look to succeed um, in college basketball. It's wild to me because there are so many of these mid-major players that are rising up to play for the big brands. And that's 
I mean, it kind of would happen, but it has never happened like this, where like players from the Missouri Valley from Drake are now playing at Kansas or players from UMass are now playing at Texas. It's a, it, you mentioned it in the open, but it's just just to kind of emphasize it is such a, a wild year and a very unique year. you got to look at the rosters and the, ro- the rotations for some of these transfers coming in, how do coaches use them? It's it's going to be phenomenal to watch. But let's let's get into some of these games here. And normally we don't do actionable content here, but because college basketball is starting this week, I wanted to give you guys some actionable contents here for a Tuesday. You guys on opening night, Kansas against Michigan State. Let's start right there. KU is laying four points here. This line seems, I don't know, a little short to me. I like KU a lot. What do you make of the Spartans as a home dog? Um, yeah, the, the neutral site home dog. Was, yeah, um, well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Madison Square Garden. Um, Michigan State. Um, I think the believe it or not, one of their losses from the roster is going to leave them better off. Uh, I'm alluding to Rocket Watts leaving, and I think he really held back Michigan State last year. They replaced Rocket Watts with Tyson Walker, a transfer from Northeastern, averaging 19 points a game, and also gets to replace Aaron Henry with Max Christie. Remember the name Max Christie. I follow recruiting heavily. I wanted him at Duke bad, and he was a Duke lean for a while. One of the best pure scorers in this class coming in. I think Max Christie is going to be a household name by January. But I do think overall that Jalen Wilson being out is going to help out Michigan State a lot because if you threw Jalen Wilson into the fray here, I really think that that's going to create a lot of matchup problems. Um, last year, Michigan State had a lot of big issues on defense, uh, specifically with Joey Hauser, who also comes back this year. Um, a guy who was a really good 3 and D guy, didn't hit many threes, and definitely didn't defend a lot. So he's one person that now they don't have to worry about guarding one of their better players again. Um, really what it's going to come down to um, is Kansas going to be able to – or uh, is uh, Michigan State going to be able to contain Agbaji and McCormick down low? Um, I think McCormick's going to pose a big uh, matchup problem for Marcus Bingham and Julius Marble down low. Can they contain him, and can they not let Agbaji go crazy? I really think that at four, this is a really, really, really sharp line. I think the books are trying to tell you that Michigan State is a little bit better than their unranked ranking. Um, I personally have Michigan State right in about the 21-22 range. Personally, I will be on Michigan State tomorrow. I really think that this is going to be a game where Kansas is really going to have to adjust with two of their key guys out that they've been practicing with the entire offseason and now have to adjust on the go. And again, still trying to um, integrate Remy Martin into that offense. And I think that the integration of Tyson Walker and Max Christie is going to be a lot easier for Tom Izzo personally on Michigan State tomorrow. uh, Plus four. Yeah, Tom Izzo, you know, in in these early season games, beginning of the year, end of the year, I think coaching really matters. And in the next game, the game after that, Duke and Coach K MSG as a Duke fan, you know how many alumni are in New York City for Duke. It's ridiculous. Like this is why they play this game every year because of all the alumni that are in New York City that go to Duke that are in there. Uh, I love Cal. He, I mean, I'm a UMass guy, so I, I love Cal. But the second game, Duke laying one here against Kentucky, basically a pick'em type of game. I know you say you don't bet on your team, but do you like your team to win? This game is at Cameron Indoor North. Um, that oh, is, yeah, uh, right. Uh, that that is a spot for uh, that is a spot for Duke alum to go to. Um, this game is very very tough for me, and it's no shock that the line is minus one. Uh, in terms of betting, um, I won't be betting this game. Uh, I will be purely watching this game. For this game, for me, what it really comes down to: Can Duke expose the weaknesses um, of Kentucky in the post again? Paulo Banchero, if you have not seen him play. 
tune in. Perhaps the number one pick in the 2022 NBA draft, Mark Williams off of would have had a monster NCAA tournament had Duke gotten the chance to make it there before being uh, having their season canceled as a result of COVID. Um, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of Kentucky's post. I know they bring in Oscar Speedway from um, West Virginia. Also have Keon Brooks coming back. I don't think that's going to be enough to ultimately stop um, Banchero and Mark Williams. If Duke can get a guy or two to knock down some shots outside to make Kentucky respect the three-point shot, something that no team did last year against Duke, and that really opens up a lot more opportunities for Banchero and Williams, I think Duke can win this game. If Duke is not hitting shots and they're able to double down on Williams and Banchero down low, maybe even get one of them into foul trouble, I think Kentucky right now, um, with the experience that they have, if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably take Kentucky because I don't trust Duke to hit shots early on this year. Uh, for the last two years, they really haven't been able to knock down shots. Um, but this is a game, again, for me, I'm personally just going to enjoy. But if you must, <laughs> I'd probably lean Kentucky. Interesting. So dogs on both games coming out, which I do think actually is a pretty good philosophy early in the season to take the points just because we don't really know what's going to happen in a lot of these games early, like we've been talking about. All right, Nova and UCLA. We mentioned this before. We got a two and a half point line here for UCLA. Speaking of dogs, I haven't fired on this just yet because the game's happening on Friday, but I, I like Villanova here and I like the experience. I like the roster. I like Jay a lot here. What do you make of Nova UCLA? Villanova, we talked about everyone UCLA brings back. Well, Villanova brings back a lot of people, too. Uh, Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels, Justin Moore is coming back, Caleb Daniels, Eric Dixon. Pretty pretty much their entire starting five is back. My only concern about Villanova is their bench. Um, they don't have a ton of depth. Uh, they do have Brian Antoine, who has an immense amount of talent, but just really hasn't tapped into it in his time at Villanova at all. And uh, Brandon Slater also returning. But I don't think that's going to be much of an issue because I think a lot of the, this starting five on Villanova most of these guys can go 35 minutes per game if they need to. I really think that a lot of people are buying too much into UCLA based off of that run last year. Are they good? Yes. Are they probably a top 10, top 15 team? Yes, they are. Um, they got a great coach. They got a lot of talent coming back. I just don't think it's enough to really keep up with this Villanova team that has almost everyone returning with a great coach in Jay Wright. And they want to get the Colin Gillespie farewell tour off to a good start here. Um, I like Villanova, not just with the points. I like the money line here. Hmm. It's wild. How long has Gillespie been around? I mean, my goodness gracious, the kid just has been has been part of college basketball for so long. Uh, what, six years, right? He's been there or is it five? Uh, I believe it's five. He's definitely entering the Aaron Kraft, Grayson Allen, uh, Perry Ellis school of I've been here forever. Absolutely. All right. A couple more games here with Brian. We're going through for the opening week in college basketball. Let's next get to Gonzaga in Texas. We touched on it a little bit early. I think early in the year, this is a chance to jump on Gonzaga because I do think they're going to come out on a mission and I do think they want to make a statement. They were great in the non-conference last year. Texas is going to take some time. I like Texas, like I mentioned, in March, maybe not in November. What do you make of Gonzaga, Texas? Uh, Texas is definitely more deep than Gonzaga is, that's for sure. But I'm not sure that's necessarily going to matter in the first game. Um, as we talked about before, Texas is going to be a great team come February or late January, February, March to take to cover a lot of games. But I do think Gonzaga is going to come out and make that statement right away. I think Chet Holmgren, uh, he, he's a unicorn type of player, seven foot yeah. tall and 190 pounds. That is lanky, but he can stretch the court just like Drew Timmy can. Andrew Nemhard comes back, um, a key veteran piece for Gonzaga to bring in. I just don't think Texas right off the bat in their first major game of the year 
um, is going to be necessarily gelled together just yet. You got to remember, these are a lot of great players from a lot of lesser programs who are still trying to learn how to play together yet. And I think they will learn how to play together. Chris Beard's that good of a coach, just not in this first game. I'm going to go with the favorite here. I like Gonzaga. And what last year, Florida State, Florida, it's not the first game for these two teams to play, but man, I, I, the SEC is always tough for me. I love watching ACC basketball. The SEC is always sort of like one of those conferences. LSU every once in a while comes up. Florida every once in a, once in a while comes up. What's your look on Florida this year, and what do you make of Florida, Florida State? Uh, the Sunshine, uh, Sunshine State rivalry, yeah. Uh, Florida has a lot of roster turnover li- this year, but they do bring back two key pieces from last year in Tyree Appleby and Colin Castleton. And another team that really hit the transfer portal hard, bringing in Myron Jones from Penn State and Brandon McKissick from UMKC, both 15-plus point-per-game scores. Again, this might be a situation where they're. Go- I really like Florida to run a lot of a four-out, one-in with Castleton. And I think with Jones and McKissick really leading the charge, I still think that it's going to take a little bit of time for them to mesh together. Meanwhile, I mean, Florida State, the gauntlet that they bring with Leonard Hamilton, uh, this man's like Benjamin Button, man. He's like, what, 73, <laughs> 74 years old? And just yeah. keep keeps getting better with age. However, Florida State does have a lot of roster turnover as well. They lose Scotty Barnes. They lose MJ Walker. They lose Raekwon Gray. Balsa Koprovica also gone. And a rarity for Florida State, they're going to have two five-star recruits likely getting the start in the backcourt in Jalen Worley and Matthew Cleveland coming in for them. But in the front court, Florida State is very experienced with Anthony Polite and Malik Osborne. Also, Houston transfer Caleb Mills, who pretty much transferred middle of the year for Houston, who was having a great season, uh, which was very shocking to see. Uh, he'll probably probably get some starts, uh, maybe come in off the bench. Um, I do think right now that Florida State has the more talented roster. I think Leonard Hamilton's a much better coach. Um, I do like Florida State to come away with the win in this game. Give me a couple of teams that are not of the power five that you're going to be staying up late watching on the East coast. If they're played out West or a team that you think out of the Atlantic 10 or somewhere that you feel like people will be talking about them during the year. Do you have any, any non power five favorites that you like? Uh, Colorado state. Um, they are definitely a team that I really, really like to have um, a really good season led by David Roddy. Uh, I watched that man play down in the post and I, I get pain for the defender. He is a big muscular dude and is someone that is um, definitely someone you should stay up and watch. Um, another team that I like, if anyone watched any of the uh, U19 FIBA tournament over the summer, uh, you might have noticed the player by the name of Kenneth Lofton, not Kenny Lofton, the baseball player, Kenneth Lofton Jr. Um, plays for Louisiana Tech. I think Louisiana Tech's going to have a solid year this year, and I think Lawton's going to be um, a big reason for it. Those are two teams that um, really stick out, um, really stick out to me um, overall, and teams that you should probably want to stay up and watch. Uh, specifically, Colorado State. Right now, Colorado State for me is a team that I truly believe could make a little bit of a run come March. Um, I know they're not as under the radar as they were last year. They're not going to come onto the scene as fast as Drake did. But I do think the Colorado State at some point in the year could crack the top 20 and could be a team that you need to watch out for as, um, I mean, not necessarily a bracket buster because they'll be a higher seed, but a team that you wouldn't expect to make a run. Better season from a non-Power 5, Houston or Memphis? Houston. I don't like I don't I don't like Penny Hardaway as a coach. He brings in great players. Jalen Duran and Amani Bates are going to be must watch television. Absolutely. Um, and I know Memphis brings a lot of players back with um, Alex Lomax as well coming back. Uh, 
I just think Kelvin Sampson has a better coach team. Um, I really like the out. I like the um, the makeup of the team, and every year they seem to come out and crack the top ten pretty much right off of the bat. So, um, just because I don't trust Penny Hardaway as a coach, Memphis is more talented, more deep. But I like Kelvin Sampson and how he gets the job done there. So, are you buying or selling that Purdue is going to be the big, the best team in the Big Ten? second best team in the big 10. I believe that Michigan still is going to have a bit of a stranglehold on that. Uh, but I do believe that uh, Purdue is going to be really fun to watch again for anybody that watched the, um, the uh, FIBA U19, you might've seen Jaden Ivy go crazy for team USA, Zach Eady for Canada. Um, I think Memphis and Purdue right are really going to be neck and neck the entire way, but I do like the makeup of Purdue. They'll be a top 10 team most of the year. Get a little bit of sunshine coming on me. It's all right. We got a couple more here with Brian. Uh, where are you on UConn's resurgence here? And are they going to be able to push Nova at all in the Big East? I don't think they're going to be able to push Nova at all in the Big East. Um, I do think UConn is obviously a tournament team. Um, there's somebody that I think that'll probably be a top 25 team the most of the year. Um, but I'm not sure I like them to push Nova. Um, I believe the last time I saw the odds check on Nova, they were about even money to win the Big East. Lay the house on it, you know. Mo, mo, like, 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 I agree. Yeah, lay the house on it. I don't see any scenario in which Villanova does not win the Big East. And UConn, again, it's nice to see them back being relevant again. You know, credit to James Booknight for getting them back up to that level again. But uh, no, um, I, I don't see them pushing Villanova, and I don't see anybody pushing Villanova in the Big East. To be frank, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think it's it's Nova, and then basically the rest of the conference. I like UConn. I do. I, I just I, I think that they're. Not that they're overrated early, but I, I'm not as sold that they're going to be able to be up there with, with, with Nova. And another team that I'm trying to figure out, I feel like Tennessee is getting a whole lot of love right now. Are, are you buying it that, that this could be a big year for the Vols? Kennedy Chandler is going to be must watch TV. He's a very, very, very good um, young point guard coming in uh, into the fold there. Um, do I think they're going to be good? Yes. Do I think they're going to be better than Arkansas or do I think they're going to be better than Kentucky or Alabama? I think they slide in right about that four spot there in the SEC. Um, SEC is pretty, SEC is pretty good this year. Um, yeah. I really like the top of that conference as a make overall. Um, Alabama, I mean, I was pretty critical about Nate Oates with his uh, comments on Coach K. Uh, he did not win a fan in me, but he's shown that he was really building a solid program there in Tuscaloosa. And we know everything that Eric Musselman can do um, at Arkansas. But in terms of Tennessee, I have them slid in right at about that four spot um, in the SEC. Still a good team. Still a team that will probably be somewhere in the uh, five-ish range come uh, March Madness, in my opinion. Yeah, they're a lot of fun to watch. I love watching their threes. They just bomb it and up and down the court and high scoring. And they're just a lot of fun to watch. All right, before I let you go, give me a prediction, kind of an off-the-wall off prediction. What What is the storyline that you're watching that you think that we're going to be talking about come March that we're not talking about right now? So we're not talking about right now. I mean, if, if we were talking about, I'd say, is this the year that Gonzaga finally gets it done? Um, the one that we're not talking about right now, will Hubert Davis outshine Coach K and win ACC Coach of the Year? How about that? That yeah. would be the ultimate for North Carolina fans in Chapel Hill <laughs> to take with them for Coach K as a parting gift. That UNC outperforms Duke in the ACC and Hubert Davis outshines or really just does better than most are expecting him to do filling in for Roy Williams and actually takes home ACC coach of the year. That is something I'm actually higher on UNC than most this year. 
Um, that is something that I am very intrigued to watch. Not just bias as a Duke fan, but I do think that Hubert Davis is a lot better than people give him credit for. Um, a lot of the great college basketball reporters out there have said in their interviews with Hubert Davis that he is a sharp-minded guy. He's wanted this job. He's got this job. And I think that, you know, we look down the line, we look back on Coach K's last season, he lost out on Coach of the Year to Hubert Davis. <laughs> that would be something for North Carolina, that would be something for North Carolina fans to really um, brag about for eternity. It's crazy that next year we'll have both new coaches at Carolina and Duke. It's, it's definitely a transitional time, time for those two power programs uh, in the ACC. And last question before that you go, in terms of things you look to bet on, are there anything that like last year I got involved a lot with first half overs. And as I mentioned with Creighton basketball, I was watching a lot with Creighton Creighton first half overs got very profitable, very fast. Is there a, a certain type of betting angle that you take that you approach that others may not play that you've found profitable? One thing that I love to do is when I'm looking at a team that generally has a pretty crappy record overall, um, and they're laying about 22, 23, 24 points to a much better opponent, look at the roster of the team that's getting that many points. Do they have a player that can just change the outcome of the game just by being simply that good? Uh, one player I look at um, that I did this with a lot last year was Antoine Davis on Detroit. Um, one of the, I think in his three years in college basketball, he's been in the top five in scoring in the nation the entire year. Does this really bad team have somebody that can just take over and go absolutely lights out and get you to where you need to get, um, get you to where you need to be at? Because again, when you're doing 20 plus points, you're expecting a blowout, but it's not often that you see a team with an elite player that can go out and just, or that we're just going to get blown out every single game. So that's a strategy that I look at often is if I see a line like that, and I know that there's a player on the other team that can just have, just go scorched earth one night and put up 25, 30 points and keep them in the game. Uh, it really prevents it from being a blowout. So that's one strategy that I love to look at overall. And then, I mean, a strategy that we all know, obviously with college kids, the look ahead game. Uh, as a Duke fan, I seen countless times us go to Wake Forest and, and lose because we were looking ahead to a big game against um, Virginia or North Carolina. So, I mean, just the classic look ahead game, because again, these are college kids at the end of the day. Um, their minds are obviously looking to the bigger games and not just, you know, some what should be run of the mill game and you easily overlook them. So those are two strategies, um, one pretty basic, but the other one maybe in the back of the head to keep mind of um, as we go into the season. Yeah, I've seen it numerous times. It, the first one I love because it happens all the time where you've got a bad program with an elite kid playing and maybe he belongs in a power five conference, but he's at that level for whatever reason. And he goes for 50 on national TV because well, it's national TV. So yeah, I, I think that that's a really good angle to take. Uh, Brian, for folks that want to follow you on Twitter, want to follow your play, this college basketball season how can they do so uh yeah you can follow me on twitter at brian bevo 10 that is the number 10 not the letters 10 and constantly looking to post um as many uh cards as i possibly can for free the entire year i've never charged for a play in my entire life um always putting plays out there um as early as possible uh to be sure that everyone gets the best lines um as we're already seeing with the first lines coming out we're seeing some big movement overall uh another thing you know my messages are always open if you're ever wondering why i'm on a certain spot uh you're intrigued as to why i'm hitting one spot over the other uh feel free to shoot me a message i'm always willing to go through my um analytical process with you and then overall you know the basketball insight with it so again i'm gonna be posting free plays all year for college basketball at brian bevo 10 follow me there and look forward to the engagement with all of you guys 
Thank you very much, man. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. 